You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. Before the days of World War II in Nazi Germany, they began to make a requirement of Jews. And that was that they were to wear a symbol to show that they were Jews. It was a symbol of the Star of David. Now this was a very unfortunate thing because essentially what happened as the Jews started wearing that, they began to be targeted for being Jews because of the racism that took place that was existing in that nation at the time. Sadly, a lot of it was based on very bad Christian theology. That it was the fault of the Jews that Jesus died. Well, I want you to know something. I'm the reason Jesus died. And that's the truth. All of us are. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in their arrogance, the Nazis manipulated the Christian church in order for that to happen. It's very troubling. And today we see sometimes people want to propose similar kinds of markers some similar kinds of uh, ways of identifying people that that they find offensive or don't like. And it can be troubling. Or it might be not so much people they don't like, but people that they want to say, hey, this group is a special group. This group is unique and different. There's been proposals that if you've had your uh, vaccination, that you be given an identification in some way. And... You know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I won't get into the debate of that. That's more of a political issue. But what I can see is that it's setting up a system that's been predicted in the end of time when a marker would be given to all of those who bow down to the Antichrist. Now listen, I'm not saying that having a a card in your pocket saying you got an immunization is the same as having the mark of the beast. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying though is you can now see that people would be willing to participate in something like that now more than ever before. One of the legacies of this last year might be that we're more willing to submit to that kind of thing. Maybe that was the whole purpose in Satan's eyes, along with many other things, for the way this was handled. I don't know. But I know this. Throughout history, there have been markers for people to identify them, to show who they are and what they're like. For example, sports fans. You know, they wear the jersey and the colors of their favorite teams. When I was in college, I remember, you know, I wore um, a badge to show that I was in a fraternity. And I also had a a jersey that I would wear sometimes with the letters Lambda, Chi, and Alpha for my fraternity. And, you know, college students, they wear their college colors or or their college uh, sweatshirt or whatever. We like to be identified sometimes. And so I thought about this. I began to think about all of this. And I started wondering, if only there was a good identifiable marker that we could rely on to help identify our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not in a controlling way, but just in a way that I could wear something to say, hey, I'm a believer. I trust Jesus. I obey the word of God. And I do my best to live for Jesus, following him and his commands. Now, as you see, there's a picture of a cross a necklace, and a lot of you wear those, and they're beautiful, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. The problem is so many people wear the cross 
who don't behave like Jesus. <laughs> now, all of us at one point don't, but some of them are very open and outward and overt in their unchristian belief and attitude and lifestyle. And so that's not a reliable tool to use. What is? If only there was something, something that we could hold on to, some identification that would say, this person follows Jesus. Self-sacrificially with all of their ability, failing sometimes, but when they fail, they always repent and try to return to it. If there was just something. Think about that for a second. Is there? From Old Testament times, we have something like that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Let me read that to you. It says, these words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city streets. What in the world is he talking about? What is Moses saying? What words that he's been sharing? Well, the words are simply the words that we then later find reused by Jesus, quoted by Jesus, sort of repurposed by, by Jesus as our marker. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, where Jesus takes this same idea and shows us what should be the marker of the Christian life. Again, there's nothing wrong with wearing a cross. There's nothing wrong with uh, other physical jewelry that identifies you in some way with Jesus. But what should be the real marker of the Christian life? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And when you find that in your copy of God's Word, would you please stand as we read it together? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I'll read from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen. You may be seated. Love one another. Now, when I read this, the, you know, as I was thinking about this and considering it as something I would preach this week, I, I read that first line where it says, a new command I give you. And I thought about that and I said, did Jesus lie? That's not a new command. That's been around a while. In fact, if you look up Leviticus 19.18, you get almost the exact same words. Not the new command part, but the part about loving others. In Leviticus 19.18, the context is, don't seek to revenge, uh, avenge yourself. Don't seek to uh, have revenge. Don't hold grudges against people who do something wrong to you. He says, instead, you ought to love one another as you love yourself. And so Jesus, when he says a new command, you read that and you think, now, wait, What? Did Jesus get this wrong? Or did John just mishear him and print it wrong? Now, I want to tell you something that I believe about the Bible before we go any further so that there's no confusion, no misunderstanding. I believe that the Bible is the inerrant, 
Word of God. That God inspired it. And the way he originally inspired it to the original authors, it was perfect. Without any mixture of error is the phrase that was thrown around when I was coming up. That used to be the one that you get. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. There is no mixture of error. What does that mean? It's just you can rely on it. There aren't any mistakes in the Bible. Whenever the Bible intends to say, and the way it intends to say it, it is the truth. You can rely on it. So when it says Jesus said, I've got a new command, I believe Jesus said, I have a new command. And then, here's another thing you have to think about when you read the Bible, and you read something, read it critically, read it bit thinking hard, you know, don't just read it running over the words, let it really come into your heart, into your mind, think on it. The Bible itself says that you ought to meditate on it. I believe that means you ought to think about it a lot. You ought to memorize it. You ought to uh, have the words go over them in your mind. Maybe take little notes and, and rewrite it in your own words. Whatever it takes for you to really let it simmer. Let it simmer. You know, like a, a good pot of soup on the stove. Let it simmer. The longer you let it simmer, what does it do? It tastes better, doesn't it? When Barb's cooking something at home and the, she lets it simmer, it tastes good. Then she puts it in the fridge and takes it out the next day and lets it simmer some more and it tastes even better. That's what the Word of God is like. So as we think about this, you have to ask yourself, why does this phrase sit here and seem to be, from our perspectives, wrong? That's because we don't understand what he's saying. And that is because in some places, it's not very often, most of the time you can read the Bible and understand it perfectly in English, but when you don't and you see something like this, look it up. Find some good resources to look it up. If you've got a computer and the internet, you can go online. There's tons of places on the internet. Now make sure you go to a good one. Bible Gateway is a good place to go. You know, those, those are some good places to get explanation for things that are confusing and this is a little confusing and as I study this here's what I understand the terminology Jesus is using is he's equating this like they did with the Old Testament with the original covenant that God made with Israel in Exodus chapter 20 the Ten Commandments didn't begin with thou should have no other gods before you they began with the fact that God brought the nation of Israel up out of Egypt that was the foundation. And what Jesus is saying is I have a foundation now for a new covenant and that new covenant is that you love one another. And so when he says a new command, what he's really saying is here is a new community. Here is a new covenant. Here is a new creation. A group of people that are going to come together and there's going to be one central marker that proves they are who they claim to be. And what is that? What do you think it is? Love one another. Love one another. He's saying you love. How do we know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? He says it three times in, this two ver in these two verses. Love one another. We've talked a lot about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ for the first part of this new year. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. I've talked a lot about being a disciple. 
And what does it mean to be a disciple? How are you a disciple? And I talked about how we should study the Word of God. And for weeks I've spent time on that. John 8.31 also says in order for us to follow Jesus, we have to obey His Word. If you don't obey Him, you're not a follower of His. John chapter 15 talks about abiding in His Word. If you don't abide in Him, what's that mean? That means you live with Him. You live like Him. You get so you're so comfortable, it's like you're at home with Jesus. And when you're at home with someone, you start to mimic their behavior. You start to act like them. They say that after a couple's been married a few years, they even start to look alike. I'm sorry, Barb. If you started looking like me, I really have to apologize. Hopefully it went the other way. I don't know. But we do, you know, we have little things. We, we say things, and it's like we know immediately what the other one's thinking. That's what it means to abide with Jesus. You start getting used to him, comfortable with him, and you start acting like him. And then this one says this, the marker of being a Christ follower is that you love one another. How do I show that I love God? By loving one another. We love in two ways. It starts by loving Jesus. It starts with a vertical relationship up and down. I love you, Lord, because I know you love me. And that love goes up and down. But you know what I think of it? I think of it like a big old, huge, you know, bucket of water. Remember the old ice bucket challenge? Remember that? People would dump it on you. And if you were standing next to someone getting the ice bucket challenge, in case you don't know, that was this thing years ago on the Internet where you were supposed to film someone getting ice water dumped all over them. You know? And if you were standing next to them when they got that bucket full of ice water and it got dumped on you, you'd get wet if you were standing next to them. Well, the love of Christ is like flowing water just dumping on top of me and you can't help but get the people around you wet with that love, with the love of Christ. And so the marker is followers of Jesus follow Jesus' example of love. It's better than any cross you can wear. It's better than any ID card you can put in your wallet. It's better than any secret phrase that you can use because all of those things can be faked. I can make a fake card. I can buy a jewelry, a piece of jewelry down at a uh, jewelry store and put it on even if I hate Jesus and don't even care. I, can you imagine maybe somebody out there didn't know what a cross was and bought one just because it looked pretty? Yeah, I could imagine that. It seems sort of odd to me, but yeah, I could imagine it happening. But you can't fake it for very long, loving one another. You know, I've always been fascinated with idioms. You know, these words, these phrases that used to mean something a long time ago. And people would use that over and over again in different ways to the point where it came to mean something else. And one of those catchphrases or slang terms is another term for it. It's an idiom is the official English term for it. Uh, is chip off the old block. You know anybody who's a chip off the old block? Well, it came from the 270s B.C. in Greece. And the people who were working in the marble, what they would do is they'd be stone cutters. They'd cut the stone. And every once in a while, they'd have a big, huge block of marble. And they'd cut a piece of stone, and it would fall off. And then someone would look at it and say, well, that's interesting. That little small piece looks just like the big block in shape and in color and in pattern. And they'd say, it's a chip off the old block. That's what it meant. It meant that this is just like that bigger thing. Well, I look at video of myself. You know that sometimes I make YouTube videos on how to help people use 
technology and such. And, you know, I don't know if they're any good or not. But as I've made those, I find myself looking at myself on camera. And I find myself doing things that my dad did. <laughs> little facial expressions. Little ways I move my head or my hands when I talk. Uh, I often repeat things that he would say. Dad jokes which rhymes with bad jokes, that's why they are so bad. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I find myself mimicking him a lot. I mean, I loved my dad. He was a wonderful father. Uh, but so they say, you know, mimicking something or, you know, uh, uh, following it, that example is, is a good sign. It's a sign of respect. And I think that we as Christians just need to become chips off the old block. We need to look like Jesus and act like Jesus and remind people of Jesus. We need to have the same uh, emotions and, and feelings and beliefs and actions. And we need to love those whom Jesus loves. And who does Jesus love? Can you list all the people Jesus loves? Yeah, you can. It's simple. Everyone. <laughs> and you're done. He literally loves everyone. So we ought to love everyone. In other words, we are chips off the old block. We are following his example. We are following his teaching. And his teaching says in verse 34, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. When he says just as, I think he's saying it's not only love one another because I loved them, but love one another the way I loved them. Think about how has Jesus loved you? You know, I, I thought about this and I just kind of in my mind went through the story of Christ through the Gospels. You know, Jesus was born. That was an act of love because he left heaven. He was in heaven where every single being in heaven existed to praise the name of Jesus. All the angels just would sing praises to him. The four living creatures that are described both in the Old Testament in Ezekiel and also in the New Testament in the book of Revelation, they all just bowed down and loved Jesus. The 24 elders, 12 of whom represented the, uh, who represent the, the Old Testament Israelites and the 12 who represent the 12 apostles of the church. Symbolically, those 24 elders represent all people who know and love Jesus. And they... Just worship him. And yet he left that. He left that to become a nobody, to become nothing, to become ridiculed, eventually beaten, and then crucified. Jesus humbled himself. That's an act of love if you humble yourself for somebody else. You put them ahead of yourself. The creator of the universe put me first above himself and his own desires. He put himself in the crosshairs. He made himself a target for both the local religious leaders of his day as well as the political leaders of his day so that they ended up coming together. Two groups that hated each other joined forces to have him crucified. He died for our sins. How many of you would die for a person on the other side of the room? We know each other. We all go to church together. But would you die for him? You say, well, I hope I would, but I'm not sure. You might say, I absolutely would die for this person. I'm holding their hand. <laughs> or I've got my arm around them. Or I'm sitting next to them. Or they're just kind of nuzzled up next to me. 
You might say, of course I'd die for that person. But would you die for some stranger if they walked in, they parked their car in the lot and saw that we were having church and just walked in. You'd never heard of them. They'd never seen them. They were just flying down uh, I-40 on their way home from a vacation. And they said, you know, let's stop and see if there's a church. I see that one with their tall steeple next to the road. Let's get off here and go there. Would you die for them? You'd never met them. Jesus died for everyone. And he did it all to conquer our sin and to conquer death itself. He took our sin to the grave. He went to the grave. And then he rose again. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He wiped it out so that you don't have to experience the, the, the results of it spiritually and eternally. So that you can have eternal life. He did all of that. Jesus died for you. He loved you. So love one another just as he has loved you. That means being forgiving and sacrificial and humble and, and putting them first in your life. He said it's a new command, not meaning that no one had ever commanded this before, but that this was a new covenant community centered around this whole theme of loving one another. He put us first and then he pointed us heavenward so that one day when we die, this won't be the end. We'll cross over into a new existence, a wonderful existence where we don't have to worry about the, the coronavirus or that creaky knee. You don't have to worry about people hating you. You don't have to worry about uh, people being angry with you. You don't have to worry about your boss wanting to fire you or your employees making fun of you behind your back. You don't have to worry about any of that. You don't have to worry about your family who uh, causes problems in your life. You don't have to worry about anything because you'll be in heaven and just like all the other existing creatures and angels and beings in heaven, you'll be praising Jesus and honoring him now face to face. And the reason we love one another is because Jesus loved us. And so followers of Jesus just love one another. Followers of Jesus love one another. I know it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but guess what? Look at verse 34 and 35. He seems to be repeating himself over and over again. Why? Because it's so important. The heart of our community is based on Jesus' love. But that love is not complete until we take that vertical love, that bucket of love that splashes down on us, and then we just catch it and share it with everyone around us. As we read this passage, how many times does he say love one another? Well, I just told you. Three different times. You know, the word, the number three in the Bible is sort of the, the number of God. And this is a godly command, a godly wish. I don't know if John intended that. I don't know if the Holy Spirit intended that. But it seemed to speak to me about that. But think about this. Love one another. It establishes the foundation for the community of every church. Our church ought to be first about loving one another as we love Christ. As we love Jesus, we love one another. Loving one another puts Christ's love into practice. We take his love and then we pass it around. We distribute it. Tomorrow there will be people from uh, the state that will be bringing food into our local community. And a number of different churches have partnered together to tend, take that food and distribute it. Well, you know what? We're supposed to be doing the same thing with Jesus' love. Maybe you want to distribute food to show Jesus' love. Maybe you just need to forgive somebody. 
to show Jesus love. Maybe you need to call someone that you haven't seen in a while and say, hey, I miss you. How are you? In order to show Jesus love. Love one another puts Christ's love into practice. And loving one another glorifies Jesus Christ. It honors him. It lifts up the name of Jesus. Dr. Art Lindsley is a vice president for ministry at the C.S. Lewis Institute. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, among other things, and was one of the greatest Christian uh, evangelists and uh, apologists of the 20th century. He lived in England. <laughs> By the way, did you know he was also an MI6 agent during World War II? I didn't know that either until recently. <laughs> I think that's cool. But anyway, uh, he would pass uh, messages on his radio program to allied forces throughout Europe. But Lindsley, this man that works for the Institute now, in, named in Lewis's honor, said that he and his wife were taking a train trip between Vienna and Hungary over in Europe. This was a few years ago. And they were sitting in one car, and in that car, they had six people in that train car together. And they just started talking and discussing things. And as they got to know one another, one of the couples, they said they were believers in Jesus, you know, he wasn't really sure how strong they were, but, you know, as a Christian and an evangelist, he wanted to know who they were and what their faith was so that he could maybe share Christ with them. Well, one of them, they said, we believe, yeah. Another couple, the, the, the other couple that was with them, of the six of them, was a couple of atheists, didn't believe in God at all. And then, of course, he and his wife made out the fifth and sixth person. And as they discussed things and talked, the atheist man of the couple said this. He shared his desire for a loving marriage and for a loving family. And he asked this question. Can't atheists love and forgive? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Can atheists who don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, can they love and forgive? And Dr. Lindsley said, well, yes, of course, atheists can love and forgive but not because of their atheism. Now just think about that for a second. Lindsley said that as he talked with that couple for a long time on this journey, he said that these atheists believe that all existence is matter. In other words, everything is just physical. There is no spiritual in the world. So therefore, you have no Holy Spirit in you, according to these people, because there is no God. There is no spirit world. Everything we know exists in this world, and when we die, we just are, we're gone. You know, our body just reverts back to an original state, and, and it's just over for us. But he said this. He said, all love is motivated by what it gives me first if you don't believe in a spiritual world. In other words, if you're an atheist, love is motivated selfishly. By loving you, what does it do for me? It's entirely selfish. Because you're not doing it for another power, another being, for another existence. You're not doing it in order to, to store up treasures in heaven. You're not doing it because a God loved you first. You're doing it just because love feels good or it's self-beneficial. You know, an atheist couple could be married and love his wife because that way he can continue being married to his wife because he likes his wife and he wants to be around her. But it's not motivating beyond this existence. See, the truth is, real love, the kind of love that we're talking about in this passage is the kind of love that's motivated by an eternal existence. 
motivated by an eternal, eternal being who created you to have an eternal soul. And your love for one another, our love for each other, is motivated by what it does for them because the love we receive from God is because of what he did for me. In fact, real love is totally selfless love. And that's the kind of love Jesus is saying, I want you to love one another in this way. And when we do, it will really stir up the world. People will take notice. They will know you by your love, Jesus said. Now, I found this crazy video on Twitter, and uh, I want to show it to you. See, in this video, this daredevil is driving down the highway, and something happens. You can go ahead and show that, Jason. He jumps out on top of the car. You see, that's in Europe, the part where he was jumping out of the driver's side. No one else is driving that thing. He just set it on cruise and jumped out and started doing push-ups and stuff on top of this crazy car. He did it in northern India. Actually, it wasn't Europe. It was in India. The town of Uttar Pradesh, India. It's near the Nepal border. And it got huge attention all over the world because it was crazy. It was nuts. It went viral. People all wanted to see it. Well, because it went so viral, guess who else saw it? the local authorities, <laughs> and they hunted him down and they arrested him and they fined him 2,500 Indian rupees. Yeah, that's 34 bucks, so I guess it's really not that big a deal, but that sounds cool. I mean, 2,500 rupees sounds really like, whoa, how's he going to ever pay for that? Yeah, it's 34 bucks. Uh, some of you will use that for just the two of you going to lunch today. But when you see people do these kinds of crazy stunts, what do you think? That's nuts. Would you do that? Would you jump out on the hood of your car like that and zip down the highway? Some of you are going, yeah, I'd love to do that. No, you're kidding yourself. You don't really want to. It is amazing. I mean, it got our attention, right? It's absolutely attention grabbing. I want you to know something. In our world today, the norm is selfishness. The vast majority of people, even if they are nice to others, they're doing it for selfish motivation. They do it because of what it gets them, not what it gives someone else. And so even when they say they love somebody, it's motivated by the benefit they receive. That's the norm in our society today. Not selflessness, but selfishness. Putting yourself first above all others. Christians, we have an opportunity to really stand out and draw attention, not to me, but to Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Love one another. Love one another. With extraordinary grace. We do it just as Jesus did, with extraordinary grace. We do it with amazing loving kindness. I love that word, loving kindness as if kindness isn't good enough, as if being loving isn't good enough, let's put those two flavors together and we get a much better casserole out of it. Loving kindness, what a beautiful thing. Service. Doing work to benefit another person just because you love them, because Jesus loves them. And sacrifice. Service is a form of sacrifice, but what if you take that to an extreme where you give 
so much to someone else because Jesus did it for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, as we've discussed these first three months of 2021, you'll obey Jesus Christ. You'll abide in Jesus Christ. You're living with him and you become like him. And one of the ways you obey and you abide in Jesus is you love like Jesus by loving one another. been listening to sermons at High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us. If you heard something that inspired you, challenged you, or encouraged you, please let me know. You can reach me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook at High Peak Church. Thanks for listening.